I mean, how can you not but thank God when you see a video like that, especially when you're my age and one of those kids was my kid. So um, I just wanna take a second to thank you guys if you made that trip happen. Some of you donated financially to send kids on that trip and some of you partnered with us in prayer daily as those kids were there and were serving. And I just wanna say thank you so very much from the bottom of our heart as a church, but also as a mama who was blessed by having her son on that trip. And I also wanna give a shout out to all of our youth workers because they gave up a week of their life to take our kids there. And so I am so thankful and I'm so glad you guys got to watch that good little video that we got to see there to see exactly how much fun they had because my son, he's a little quiet. So when I'm like, hey, how was the trip? It was great. And then I saw the video and I was like, are you kidding? That trip looked amazing, you know? I'm sure he thought that too, but he just didn't say that because I'm his mom and you know, that's okay. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you guys are here with us today. If you are visiting, let me just take a second to introduce myself. My name is Stacy. My husband, Chris and I, and our family have been calling Crosstown home now for about 20 years. And it is just an honor and a joy to be able to be here and to share with you today. Pastor Paul has asked me to come and continue in our Chosen Summer series. So um, if this is your first time, we're in the middle of a series where we're looking at clips from the show, The Chosen. If you are not familiar with that show, I encourage you, watch it. If you have been watching some of the clips here and you haven't had the opportunity, there are three seasons, go binge it. It is good. Your whole family can watch it. It will have an impact on you. And it's basically the gospels come to life. And so through this series, we looked at the life of Mary Magdalene. We looked at the life of Peter. We looked at Nicodemus. We looked at Nathaniel last week. And I don't know about you, but I really needed that Nathaniel video last week. Last week, we learned that no matter what tree we are sitting under, the eyes of God sees us. He sees us. We learned last week through the story of Nathaniel that Nathaniel was seen and so are we. And I don't know about you, but one of the things that God kind of amplified to me over this past week in reminding me that he sees me is that he doesn't see a future version of me. You see, I can understand that God loves a future version of Stacy when she cleans up her thought life, when she cleans up her language, what she watches on TV, what she puts in her body, what she does do, what she doesn't do. I can get behind the idea that God loves a future version of me. But the reality is for me and for you and anyone listening today, God doesn't love a future version of you. He loves you. Yes, you, all of you. He sees you. He sees all of you, he knows you, and he loves you. That's where this message is going to continue today. We're gonna to take it a little further in understanding what God has declared over us for those of us who are in Christ. So wherever you are today, he wants you to know that he absolutely sees you. Today's gonna to be a little bit different though. So over the last several weeks, we've been looking at a specific person, you know, and we've been watching Jesus's interaction with a specific person. And today, the clip we're gonna watch is the interaction between Jesus and one of his disciples. But the, the overarching message is Jesus preaching to the people. So we're gonna be looking at a group of people that Jesus is talking to. Now in the clip, 
the show, The Chosen, they use some artistic license. So you're gonna see it looks like almost like Jesus is practicing what he's about to start teaching. Listen, if he had any humanity in him, I am sure he practiced because guess what I did this morning in the shower? I practiced, right? It's just what you do when you're gonna speak in front of a group of people. And so in this clip, you're gonna see Jesus kind of practicing the message, but it is so much more. I love the way that the show has demonstrated the compassion and the the mercy and the love of Jesus. And the one thing I really want you to pay attention to is Matthew. Matthew is the one who's writing this down. And we're going to be looking at what, when he starts talking, you're going to realize it's the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes. And they come out of Matthew chapter five. And in this clip, Matthew's going to be writing it down. But what I want you to see is how Matthew responds when Jesus is looking at him. You see, Matthew, if you're not familiar with who Matthew is, Matthew was a tax collector, which meant he was a Jewish person who had aligned himself with the Roman government to take money from the Jewish people. So Matthew was reviled above all others. The Jewish people had such disdain for Matthew because he sold out his own people for the Roman government, the Romans who were oppressing the Jews. And then Matthew met Jesus and it changed his life. But I guarantee you, like many of us, Matthew did not forget his past. And I think that's what we see in this clip. Let's take a look. Ready? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. Don't you love 
love that interaction between Jesus and Matthew there. I'm not sure if that happened, but I have to believe on some level there was a time when Jesus spoke straight to the heart of Matthew because he knew Matthew was very well acquainted with his past in the same way that we are well acquainted with our past. You know, I think some of us have come in and we have a a church background, so we have heard the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount so many times that we're like, yeah, yeah, I've heard it. But today, I wanna just open your eyes to the idea that maybe, just maybe, God is wanting to say to you, no matter your circumstance, no matter how you feel, his hand is extended to you and that he is reaching out to you in the middle of your mourning, in the middle of whatever grief and pain that is going on in your life, that through this message today, he wants you to know his hand is not too short to extend to anyone. Yes, even you. God wants to extend his good hand to each one of us today. But some of us aren't receiving that. We don't feel that. And I think it's because we feel marginalized. It's an interesting word. The idea of feeling marginalized or being marginalized means to be placed into a position of little or no importance, no influence, and no power. There was a time for me personally where I thought I had zero influence. And I remember asking God, like, hey, am I, it's a prayer I pray a lot. Like, is there any lie or any deception that I'm believing? If I am, tell me. And immediately he said, you don't think you have influence. And then he began opening my eyes to areas that I have influence. Because the reality is the influence was there. I have the influence whether I was aware of it or not. But when he opened my eyes to it, I can use that influence for the kingdom of God. And so for some of us, we feel marginalized. Maybe you're sitting here today and you feel marginalized because you're too old. You've retired and you have no purpose in life and you just feel like nobody needs you. Your kids are doing their thing. They don't want your input, your insight, your thoughts, and they don't need your money anymore so they ain't got no time to talk to you. Maybe you feel marginalized because you're too young. You haven't finished college yet. You don't have your degree yet and no one takes you seriously so you feel marginalized because of that. Maybe you feel marginalized because you're black, because you're white because you're brown. Maybe you feel marginalized for a hundred other reasons, because of grief, because of depression, because of abandonment. I don't know why you feel that way, but I think the reality is a lot of us feel like we have no position, no influence, and no power. And today, I want us to take a look at the reality that is over our feelings. If we are in Christ, We are gonna be in 1 Peter 2. So if you've got your Bibles, I encourage you, grab them, open them up. You can follow along on your phones. It's also gonna be on the screen. But before I read that, I wanna just kind of remind us about Peter. So Peter is writing this letter and he's writing to a group of people who were on the outside in the family of God. And then they were invited in to receive all of the blessings of what it means to be a part of the family of God. And Peter's writing a letter to them. The world around them is very hostile and against their ideas and their beliefs. And Peter is writing a letter to them with an urgency in his heart to say, I see what's going on, but I wanna declare, no matter how you feel, I wanna declare the reality over you who are in Christ. But remember, Peter is the guy who was ready to kill someone in the Garden of Gethsemane, and a few hours later, Peter was also the guy who denied Christ. 
See, Peter knows what it's like to be doing it right and firing on all cylinders and being like, yeah, man, I'm in it. And Peter also knows what it's like to be at the lowest low and to be in that place where he was so well acquainted with his own personal disappointments and his sin in his own life. And this guy, Peter, is the one who's writing to these people who were not a part of the family of God originally, but have been invited in, and he is declaring the truth over them. So I'm gonna start in 1 Peter, verse two. Um, And so I just want us to kind of hear this message. Now, when I start reading it, I'm gonna start with this little word, but. And when I see that in scripture, It means, oh man, I gotta go back and figure out why that butt was there, what's going on. And so before I start reading it, he's talking to a group of people with this word but because he's telling them a few verses before, hey, this thing that I'm about to declare, this thing that I'm about to say to you, about you, and over you is true. This precious value and honor is true for those of you who believe. And then he goes into this thing about what happens to those who don't believe. And so today, you may be in this room as a believer of Jesus Christ. You consider yourself, yes, I've given my life to Christ. This message is for you. You may be in this room today and you're kind of part of the crowd. When Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five, it says, he put his gaze upon his disciples. He saw his disciples and he began teaching and the crowd came and the crowd listened and the crowd was amazed because he taught with authority. So whether you are a disciple, believer of Christ, or you're here today as maybe someone who's just on the outside, a part of the crowd, and you haven't yet believed, I want you to hear what the invitation is for those of us who do believe and the reality for those of us who do believe. And hopefully, you will taste and see that the Lord is good. And if you are on that side where you don't yet believe, today is an invitation to believe this to be true. Peter starts in verse 9. But you who believe, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and placed you into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy mercy. This is true for everyone who has received Jesus Christ as their Savior. Whether you feel it or not, the reality of your declaration by God, which his word is better than my word, his word is better than your word, his word is true, he has said, you are a holy nation, a people for my own possession. Okay, I have to be honest. I was reading that this week, and I don't know, maybe this is a me thing, maybe this is a woman thing, but when I read, I am a people for his own possession, I'll be honest, that did not give me warm, fuzzy feelings, okay? I was like, I'm not property, and I don't want to be owned by anyone. So I don't, like, God, you're going to have to help me with this one, because, yeah, I want to be a people for your own possession. Like, I want to be in your family, but that doesn't sound right. That's because I got some mixed up connotation in my mind. That has to do with me, not what Peter was saying, Peter was saying to them, based on what God's word says, you are a treasure. You are my treasure. God is saying, you are my treasure. So when you think about possessing or owning something, maybe this analogy will help you a little bit. So I was doing some research this week, and I came across this 
I'm not a musician, so don't think I was doing research because I am. If you know me, you definitely know I'm not. But I was doing some research, and I found out that there's this guitar. It's like a 1939 Martin acoustic guitar. It sells for roughly $8,000 on the internet now used, right? Seems like a lot of money for a guitar that's really old, but apparently it's a good guitar. Well, then I dug a little bit more and realized that same guitar, if it was owned by Eric Clapton, it sold for $800,000. It went from being worth $8,000 to $800,000 because of who owned it. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm okay with God owning me in that way, right? Because it's a treasure. It's, we are God's treasure. So when you think about that and you hear that, and as a matter of fact, when Peter's writing this, basically Peter's going through what he knows in the scriptures, which were their Old Testament at the time, what we call the Old Testament. Those were the scriptures that Peter knew so well. And so when Peter's putting this together in his letter, he's basically just taking things from the Old Testament. And one of the things that God says over and over again is you are my treasure. You are my people, a people of my own possession. And so he's telling them over and over again, we are his great treasure. We are worth so much to him, so much that he was willing to send his own son. And because of that, because we are God's and we are his treasure, then we get all the rights of that citizenship. You see, because God bought us with a price. The apostle Paul tells us in Corinthians, you no longer belong to yourself. You have been bought with a price. And that price was the blood of Jesus Christ that was poured out for the forgiveness of my sins, for the forgiveness of your sins. God paid a great price for us. And because he paid that price, he's inviting us to receive the rights to be children of God. And with that comes rights of citizenship. We have certain rights of citizenship that we have been given. And one of those things that God declares is, you are a people of my own possession. You are a holy nation. And you guys, this would have been radical for the people hearing this because they were not considered the people that were chosen. He's writing to people who weren't originally considered people to be chosen. And he's like, no, because I am God and I am choosing you and I am calling you out. And because you received my invitation, I am calling you a holy nation. That is powerful. Just in the same way it would be powerful for me if as an American citizen, I go to a foreign country and I'm just minding my own business, and all of a sudden I get arrested for something I didn't do wrong, I would immediately, you know what I do when I get thrown in that prison cell? Hey, I'm an American citizen. Can you call the American embassy? I have rights as an American citizen. I would lean on the rights that I have as an American citizen to reach out to the embassy in that country because I'm a part of that. See, some of us are a part of this holy nation, but we have forgotten it. And so we don't say, hey, enemy, quit whispering that in my ear. Quit telling me how bad I am. Quit reminding me of all the terrible things I did. I am no longer that. I am a part of the holy nation. I am chosen. I am a part of the royal priesthood. That is true over us, even if we feel marginalized, even if we don't feel it, it is the truth over us. Maybe this analogy will help and I think I would be a little remiss if I didn't share this thinking about what, what does it look like to be a holy nation? Because it doesn't have anything to do with where you were born. It doesn't have anything to do with your skin color. It doesn't have anything to do with where your degree came from. 
The reason you get to be called a part of that holy nation is because you allowed the name of God to be written upon your heart when you received him as savior of your life. That's how you get to become a part of that holy nation. So in the same way, if you're a football fan, which there are people in here, right? There are football fans in here? Yes, okay, okay. I think somebody told me 48 days till Clemson football, which I know my family is excited about. Maybe if you're NFL, you know, um, you're a football fan. So maybe this will kind of help you think about it. If you're a New England Patriots fan, you know what that means? You're a part of Pat Nation. You are a part of Pat Nation. They're like Facebook groups and all these people. So you're walking through the airport. You got on your Patriots shirt and you're so excited. You see some stranger walking through the airport with a Patriot shirt on and you're like, Pat Nation all the way. Or if you're a Carolina, maybe we don't have any Patriot fans in here. <laughs> I mean, I got to, our pastor's a Patriots fan. Maybe you're a Carolina Panthers and you're like, keep pounding, man. And you don't even know this person. <laughs> And you don't even know this person, but you feel like you're a group together. That's the reality for those of us in Christ. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we've been called a holy nation by God. We have been declared holy, righteous, and chosen in Christ when we have received that invitation. And that's what Peter is telling us. He is saying that, listen, some of you need to hear that today because you don't feel holy chosen or righteous. But if you have given your life to Christ, that is the declaration spoken over your life, regardless of what you ever do again for the rest of your life. Your actions don't determine that. And that is the hardest thing for us to believe. It's the hardest thing for our hearts to receive because we are so well acquainted with what we do. But God has declared this over your life. I think God wants to remind us today that there is no place that his hand cannot extend. That's what the Sermon of the, on the Mount, that's what the Beatitudes is about. Because honestly, when I started reading it, I, I mean, listen to this. And, and it was hard for me because I'm like, I don't feel like I am that. I don't, I'm not that. But listen to how God is reminding us through the words of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount that he's reaching into these situations. He says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. Rejoice and be glad. You see, when I first started reading that this week and kind of thinking about the message that God wanted to communicate to us, I'm like... <laughs> I don't feel very pure in heart today, God. Uh, I don't feel like I was a peacemaker with my kids today, God. I don't feel like I'm actually hungering and thirsting for righteousness. I'm kind of hungering for a Big Mac right now. I'm just being honest, you know? I mean, I'm like, how is he saying, blessed are you, but I'm not that. Yes, I am if I am in Christ. God sees that and he's saying, despite your circumstance, despite how you feel about yourself today, when you came in this room, he is saying, blessed are you? And then he says, I love how he finishes it, rejoice and be glad. When's the last time you rejoiced and you were glad? Man, our teenagers got that. Didn't you see that video? Listen, I love you, Joshua. But as a mom, he's not perfect, y'all. He's not. I'm not perfect. But it doesn't stop him from rejoicing and being glad because he knows. Those kids on that trip understood what it meant to be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's like that picture of that video is what 
I think of when Jesus says, rejoice and be glad. You're sitting here and you're still thinking, yeah, but I feel marginalized because of my sexual orientation, my marital status, my income, my skin color, my age, but God calls you blessed. You see, God has said you are blessed despite any of that if you have given your life to Christ. It doesn't matter what you struggle with. It doesn't matter what your deficiency is. He said, blessed are you. You've been called blessed by God. But I think a lot of us, the reason we feel like we've been placed in this position, I thought it was interesting when I looked up the word marginalized and it says placed in a position. Who placed you in that position? Did God place you in that position of little or no influence, no power? Or did you place yourself in that position? See, I think some of us have placed ourselves in that position because we really don't truly, truly in our heart believe We just can't believe all that God has said about us. We don't allow the voice of God's mercy to be spoken into our lives. See, again, 1 Peter 2.10 says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you receive mercy. So if you're in Christ today, you are God's people and you have received that mercy but you might not be experiencing it. And maybe the other thing is true. Maybe you're just part of the crowd today and your heart is saying, you know, I need that mercy. I want God to say, blessed am I. Then the invitation stands for you today to be a part of the family of God. But maybe you still, you're just like, I don't, you don't know, Stacy. it's easy for you because you're so confident. First of all, that's a lie. I'm not all that confident. I just trust God. I just trust God. Every time I get on this stage, I just say, God, you love these people more than I do. Even though I love y'all, I trust him. But maybe you don't feel like you deserve the mercy of God because you know that thing you did and you just can't let go of it. You're here and you don't feel like you deserve it. Isn't that the beautiful part of mercy? (laughs) It isn't. We don't do anything to earn it. It's a free gift God's given us. Maybe for you, you're on the other side of that though. (laughs) This is where I find myself often a little angry with God, a little bit like, God, I'm angry because here I am again. I showed up again and I don't, I don't see, I don't know. I mean, obviously none of you got up and drove to church this morning and said, I'm angry with God today. But, but in your mind, have you been like, hey God, do you see me? God, do you know what I'm doing? God, have you seen? I mean, I keep forgiving, but nothing is happening. I keep doing this, but nothing is happening. And so you feel a little bit irritated and angry at God. Either way, whatever camp you're on, I want us to kind of look at what can separate us from experiencing his mercy. Because there are some things that can separate us from experiencing his mercy. His mercy is there. It's a free gift. Scripture tells us his mercies are new every morning. And I'd like to say they're new every hour, every second. But what separates us from experiencing his mercy? So I'm going to read a couple of verses out of Isaiah to you. Now, the first verse I'm going to read to you, I just wish I could stop right there. It's a good verse. It's a good word. It makes me feel good. I like it. As a matter of fact, Pastor Paul and I, as I was preparing this this week, we talk a lot about the message. And so we're kind of going back and forth. And we had this whole heated conversation about, yeah, share this verse. Don't share that verse. We should share this verse. I don't know if we should share that verse. But I really feel like today I would be doing a disservice if I don't share both of them with you. It would kind of be like, 
the only way I can think about how to describe it is if I'm a doctor and you come to me and I say, hey, listen, I just need to let you know you got cancer. See, if I, if I told you that, then you're gonna expect me to come up with a plan of action to treat that cancer. If my plan of action was, hey, listen, why don't we go find the best five-star hotel on the prettiest beach? Let's check you in. I'm gonna give you the best room service, the best French press coffee you've ever had. It's gonna have all the best aromatherapy in it. You're gonna be so comfortable in that bed and I'm just gonna leave you there. You would think I was crazy because that's not gonna solve your problem of your diagnosis of cancer, right? This first verse is kind of like all the goodness. The second verse is what I would actually have to do if I was a doctor is tell you, hey, the reality is you have this cancer and if I don't give you this thing called chemo that's gonna make you sick and make you feel like you're dying, it, it's, it's not gonna help. This is what we have to do. So let me read this first verse. This is, this is true and this is real. Isaiah 59.1, behold, the hand of the Lord is not so short that it cannot save, nor his ear so dull that it cannot hear. Done. Like that's all I wanted to read to y'all today. Because that's a good word, isn't it? Like, let's pack up, baby, and go to lunch because that is a good word. That word is true. God's hand is not too short to save and his ear is not too dull to hear. The righteous right hand of God, God's righteous right arm, Jesus Christ, came down to earth. He lived a perfect sinless life because we cannot he died on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins and he rose again on the third day. So God reached down into humanity, into the worst of the worst, and he sent Jesus Christ because his hand is not too short nor his ear too dull to hear. That is true and I love that. But here comes the spiritual chemo part, okay? Um, verse Two in Isaiah 59, but there's that little word again, but your iniquities, your sins have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Gosh, that's a hard word. I, I'm just gonna be honest with you. I was like, I don't know. If, I mean, I even had the guy split it on the screen in ProPresenter because I was like, maybe I won't have to share that hard word. I'm hoping I don't have to share that hard word because that's hard to read. Like, oh, but it is the truth. And I think we see that. I think in The Chosen, they did a beautiful job of kind of even bringing that idea in. When Matthew is looking down and then Jesus begins speaking to Matthew about they revile you, Matthew kind of turns his face even further away because Matthew remembers what he did to his own people. And that shame will make our gaze turn away. It says that your sins have hidden his face from you. He has never hidden his face from you. He has never hidden his face from you. He does not hide his face from us but we sure can turn our face inward and look down instead of allowing him to be the lifter of our face and looking up in the same way Matthew looked up. We know this verse is not telling us that we've been separated from God if we are in Christ. We know that that's not what it's telling because scripture tells us that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God, that God loves us even when we were dead in our trespasses. He died for us. When we were strangers, when we were aliens, when we were against him, he died for us. But you know how hard that is for us to understand? 
I honestly think this is one of the hardest things as a Christian we can believe. And it's maybe the thing that's keeping you in the crowd. Maybe it's the thing that you're like, there ain't no way, ain't no way based on what I've done. I just encourage you to go read the life of David, a man who's called a man after God's own heart. Oh, by the way, he was the worst father ever because his son raped his daughter and because he had another wife's, um, another man's wife, I mean, and then had the husband killed. I mean, it's crazy, y'all. The Bible is not an easy read. I'm just gonna say it's not easy. But you know what it is? It's true. It's life-giving. And God said, I redeemed David and I will redeem you. My face is not from you. So if you feel like the face of God has been hidden from you today, maybe it's because you're separating yourself. And God invites you today, stop separating and start surrendering. He's inviting you to look up. He has never once lost his gaze on you. In all of the 67 years of your life, he's never lost his gaze on you. He loves you and he's looking at you and he's inviting you today into this place where you stop separating and you begin surrendering. Because what happens is our sin, the things that we know we're not supposed to do, they separate us from experiencing that fellowship with him. And I think one of the reasons that we experience that separation is because it helps us not wanna do that again. It helps us recognize, I don't wanna be there. I wanna experience the fullness of the blessings of God. But sometimes we don't get to experience that mercy. But Ephesians tells us, but God who is rich in mercy, God who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. It's why it's called the good news. It is radical. It does not make sense. It doesn't add up. You can put it in all of your spreadsheets all day long. It does not, not add up. God's radical, audacious love for you does not make any sense. It doesn't. But that's how much he loves you. And he showed it to us through Jesus Christ. That is the power of the gospel and the good news. Today, God wants to remind you his hand is not too short to reach into your life, into your story, into your marriage, into your pain, into your divorce, into your isolation, your grief, your rejection, your addiction, or even your hopelessness. Today is the day he's inviting you back to experience his mercy. He's saying, stop running, Stop hiding, stop isolating, and start surrendering. I'm gonna tell you that first step of surrender is gonna be the hardest step you take because you feel like you're stepping off of a cliff and you're gonna fall. I'm promising you, you're stepping into the good hand of the Lord. That's what he's inviting you to do today. He will not let you fall. And when he does this, when we stop running from him, and when we start surrendering, we get to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. That's what Peter was telling us in those verses. He's saying, you are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, and you get to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ. And that's what we get to do. So he's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
What does it look like to be called out of darkness? What does that look like, Peter? What are you talking about? It means we have our eyes open, not only to see ourselves the way that Christ sees us, but we also have our eyes open to see others the way Christ sees others. That's what it looks like to proclaim his excellency and be called out of darkness into marvelous light. We begin seeing other people the way God sees them. We are collectively, those of us in Christ, are collectively a chosen people. He didn't say, you are my person, Stacy. But see, sometimes that's how I hear it in my head. You're my girl, Stacy. No, no, no. He says, you are my chosen people. We are collectively a people of God. And so because of that, I, in my mind, don't get to marginalize or call unclean what God has declared clean. So I don't get to marginalize others in the family of God. And sometimes I do that with my thoughts, with the way I walk past certain people, with the way I don't interact with people. And God today is saying, stop doing that proclaim my excellencies and begin looking at people the way I see them. I'm just saying, if you got a difficult person in your life, right? Maybe you do, I don't know. I might have one in my life. Um, if you got a difficult person in your life, I wanna challenge you this week. I wanna encourage you this week. Just every morning, begin asking God, God, could you give me your eyes to see that person so that I could see them maybe the way you see them? And just watch what God begins to reveal and how that can begin shining the marvelous light. So maybe that's the challenge for you today. Um, maybe he's inviting you to think about the times that you have marginalized others. And he's inviting you to step out of that darkness into the light so that you can proclaim the excellencies of Christ. Because when we do that, when we as God's chosen people, we forgive God's chosen people and those outside even, when we as God's chosen people choose to love, choose to sacrifice, choose to serve, choose to humble ourselves, that is when the light of God is shown abroad. Isaiah talks about how arise and shine, your light has come and nations will be drawn to it. Those that are a part of the crowd will be drawn to that love when we begin loving one another and seeing each other the way Christ sees us. Today, God's hand is reaching out and inviting you in to be in the privileged place of God's people. It's not a place of marginalization, but a place of belonging. And if we're all honest with ourselves, we all sense this desire, this deep need to belong. If you are a part of God's chosen race, his holy nation, if you are in Christ, you do belong. We are no longer rejected. We have been redeemed. God has redeemed us. He is redeeming you. It is a redemption story that is going on and on and on. And I just want to kind of wrap up today by reading this blessing over you. We actually sung it last week. And if you're not super familiar with the book of Numbers, which, you know, not everybody loves it as much as I do, um, that song that is called The Blessing, it actually comes out of Numbers 6 24 and 26, and I just wanna read this over you today. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance, his face upon you and give you peace. 
That is what the priest declared over the people of God. That is what God wants to declare over his people today. It goes on in the next verse. I just love this verse. I had missed it until this last week. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel. May they invoke the name of God upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. Allow me to invoke the name of God upon you today so that you can receive all of the blessings and the peace of God today. We're coming to this part of the service where we call it expressions. It's a time for you to respond to what God's been saying to you. And maybe today you came in and you were a part of the crowd and you have decided you want the blessing of God. You want to know the goodness of God and you want to surrender today, we invite you to come and to pray with our elders and our pastors in the back. Maybe there's just this problem that you cannot figure out. We invite you, our pastors and elders will be back there to pray with you. Maybe today you need to redeclare to yourself and to those around you, no matter what last night looked like, no matter what last week looked like, no matter what last month looked like, you are a child of God, you are receiving that in remembrance of him by partaking in the body and blood of Christ. We invite you to receive communion. Or maybe for you today, you need to invite his hand to reach into your situation. You need to invite his hand to reach into your marriage, into your divorce, your separation, your medical diagnosis. Pin that to the cross, give it to Christ and allow him to infuse you with his hope. It's the hope of Jesus Christ. Father God, I just thank you that you are a God who is for us, not against us. I thank you that your word is very clear, that there is nothing that can separate us from your love. Your love. I thank you that we have this beautiful picture in scripture where David says, where can I go to flee from you? If I ascend to the highest heights, you are there. And if I go to the lowest lows, you are there. Your hand is upon me. Father, I thank you that no matter what we do, your hand is not too short and you extend it into our lives. I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We rejoice and we are glad because of what Christ did for us and because we can proclaim the excellency of the name of Jesus Christ to be lifted above all else. We praise you and we thank you. God, I pray for those who feel far off from you today. I pray that they feel your hand bringing them in. Give them courage. Your word says that the good hand of the Lord is upon me to give me courage. Give them courage today. In Jesus' name, amen.